Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Alex. We're reading scripture. Uh, just one more announcement. I just want to add, uh, I forgot to put it in today. Um, this week, actually, if I'm correct, we have a women's uh, ministry meeting, the first meeting of the, of the ministry. We just started it and starting it, and so we're kicking it back up a little bit. Uh, Grace is kind of um, being the point person for this, but what we want to do, if you're curious, is not just meet and just do whatever when we get together, but it's going to be a lot more structured, um, it needs to be a lot more, I think, organized and uh, more fruitful discussions, and there will be a goal to it. And, uh, of course, they're going to, uh, I'm not a woman, but I'll be there uh, participating in a little bit and then pull out in a little bit. So um, just kind of, if you're interested, if you're open to that, stay tuned for more information as we lay these things out. Um, <clears throat> anyways, two weeks ago, we started this little sort of mini-series here on worship, and I know we've heard sermons about worship many times, but we're doing it a little differently. What I'm trying to show you, uh, and trying to encourage you, not just that you should come to Sunday worship, but that uh, there's something you come out of worship with, uh, and it's something not just, well, I get more Jesus, or I get more God, or I get more religious. Uh, you, you come out with something that I think, not just Christians, but even non-Christians are looking for outside in the world, right? And worship is one of the things that we do where we find some of these things. What we said two weeks ago, just as a reminder, is this, that this idea of worship, when you hear the word worship, it isn't what we're saying is something just what we do here for two hours on a Sunday. It's not just referring to a religious practice. But the idea, basically speaking, of worship is that it's basic to people. John Calvin, a famous reformer, of the Protestant Reformation said that, in fact, all people were created to be worshipers, and not speaking in a religious sense, but more in a life sense. When you worship something, you eventually end up living for it. You live for something or someone, you end up worshiping it. Everyone worships something, and it might not be a god per se, but whatever that is, whatever it is that you think you live for, you're driven by it. You overwork to achieve it. Whatever it is you're living for, if it's threatened or blocked, you get fearful or you get angry. If we lose the thing that we think we're living for, you are utterly destroyed. That's the sign of how you know if you're worshiping something. The question here is not do we worship or not. The question is what do we worship or who do we worship? Um, let me just put it this way, but this quote, I don't know if you, if you know this person named David Foster Wallace. Um, I didn't know him either until I looked him up after I was reading something, but he was a professor of English, wrote a novel entitled Infinite Jest. Infinite Jest. Time Magazine, I don't know if you know this, cited his book as one of the 100, top 100 best English language novels in the 20th century. Okay, Infinite Jest, David Foster Wallace. Uh, not sure if he was a Christian or even if he was religious at all, but unfortunately what happened uh, at the age of 46, he struggled with depression and he ended up committing suicide. But he gave a speech to the graduating class at 
Kenyon College in 2005, and, and I read it, and this is what he says. And I thought it was pretty insightful. He says this, quote, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money, he says, and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. If you worship your body, your beauty, your sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. You will need even more power over others to numb down your fear. If you worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the this is, this is what he says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. That's what he says, end quote. Worship then, the very essence of worship, is what we do in life. And it's the very nature of people to worship. And that's why if we don't worship God, we will worship something else. This is why John Calvin says that the human heart is idolarum fabricum, literally means a perpetual idol factory. Last time we looked at worship, we talked about meaning and how we find meaning in life and maybe how worship shows what meaning is to us. But today, I want to talk about something that I think the Bible has always been talking about, but particularly today in our culture, especially in this country, what we're going to talk about today is something almost sacred, that you can't even touch this, and that is the issue of identity. Identity. What is identity? You talk to any psychiatrist, they're going to say this. Generally, it's a person's sense of self. Right? You ask them what it is, and they'll tell you. It's a person's identity. It, it encompasses memories, experiences, their values and desires that create a sense of self. Identity asks the question, who am I? What do I want? What do I want? What do I want my future self to be? Right? And so the modern world and modern psychologists will say this. Forming identity takes three things. You first, you have to discover and develop your desires and potential. What are my desires? What do I want? What's my potential? The second thing is this, then you choose your purpose in life. What do you want to do with them? And then the third way to find your identity is this. You've got to express it. You've got to express your desires, your potential, choose what you want to do, and express what you want to do. What you want to do, you express your potential and purpose. And so this is why even in our culture, you hear slogans like this all the time. Be true to yourself. Love or value yourself. In fact, every culture has a way to develop a sense of self, a sense of worth, a sense of identity, who you are and what you're worth. Now, when you look at these two verses, which you've heard before many times, I want you to notice something here. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, so on and so forth, okay? There's so many things we could say about these two verses, but I'm just going to use this verse to kind of make a point uh, when we're talking about identity. When we look at verse 1, the important word here is the word therefore, 
right? We know, we know this. Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to ask the question, what's it there for? So Paul is trying to tell in chapter 12, he begins telling his readers to start doing something, to start, you know, living like something, but he does it by saying, therefore. In other words, that therefore is packed, and it really includes chapters 1 to verse 11. And in chapters 1 to verse 11, Paul has spent so much time telling you who you are, what God has done, right, and, and how much he's loved you. And now in chapter 12, after telling you all of this, therefore, therefore, because of this is who you are, this is what you are, in light of what God has done, therefore, live this way. Think this way. Express your life this way. This is your, verse 1, worship, spiritual act of worship. Notice this, how Paul does this. And he does it in every of his letters. He never tells you to do something. Okay, this is what we got to get clear, especially if, even if you're a Christian, because you always forget. You think, Christian, what do I do? What do I do? No, no. He always tells you first who you are. We call that indicative. And then he says, do this. That's called imperative. For the Apostle Paul, indicative is so important. You've got to know who you are before he can tell you what to do. I can't tell a dog to meow or a cat to bark. Why? Because that's not what they are. So Paul's always telling you, this is what you are, indicative. Therefore, do this. Be like this. Stop doing that. Okay? That's how he does. That's how he thinks. Notice, it's not the other way around. It's not, this is what you got to do, and then you're going to be this. Obey these rules, and then you're a Christian. Think, act, talk, feel like this, and then you'll be a good Christian. That's maybe how the world works, but that's not how the Bible is working. It's not imperative, then indicative. It's indicative first, who you are, then imperative. Do this. In other words, Paul's saying this. Here is your identity. Here is the indicative. Therefore, live this out. And then chapter 12 to the rest of this book that's all he does. I'll tell you how to do that. Here's who you are. Here's who you're meant to be. Here's what you're created for. Now, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, go and do it. And did you notice this? Where does who you are come from, according to the Apostle Paul? Where does identity come from for the Apostle Paul? It comes from God. It comes from outside of you, not from you. Now, just hear me for a moment, because this is different from how our world, how you and I oftentimes think. What Paul here is saying is that the truth of your identity, who you are, is not inside of you, it's outside of you. And then that identity comes inside of you, and then you're called now to realign your life, your feelings, your thoughts, your actions to fit that truth. In other words, Christian identity is outside in. Okay? But the modern man or the world or in our culture today, it's the very opposite. How do you find meaning? How do you find identity today? It's not outside in. The way we do it is inside out. What do I mean? 
The world today says to find out how you are, who you are, how you want to be, you start inside. You find truth inside of you to decide for yourself what is right or what is wrong or what is good or what is bad for you. And then you go outside and you demand that everyone else around you acknowledge you and accommodate to you. You see that thinking? You talk to any modern-day therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, it's the same approach. We see this approach everywhere. And the idea is this. Therefore, no one has the right to tell you who you are, what you're worth, except you. No one can decide your identity, only you. Only you can decide what's true for you. Only you get to decide what is right or wrong for you. You determine you. That's the world we live in. It's everywhere in our media. Even in our kids' books. For example, um, J.K. Rowling's, you know, her famous uh, series, Harry Potter series. I think she has a book. There was a movie out called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Do you remember that? And in this book, uh, there are these creatures called obscurials. I don't know if you know or are familiar with this book. And basically what an obscurial is, it's a wizard who was not being allowed to do magic, to express his magical nature. And if you can't express it, what you become is an obscurist, which is this creature that just goes around eating things. And so the assumption here is that you've got to express your deepest desires. And if you can't do that, you're being less than human, inside out. I'll give you another one, Frozen. Right? One of my favorite Disney movies, one of my favorite songs, Let It Go. Remember the, Let It Go, Elsa, right? If you look and listen carefully, that's a girl who's repressed. Elsa's repressed. She has a repressed identity, imposed outside in, imposed from her family. This is who you're supposed to be. And then she goes into this song, and you know how the song goes, right? Don't let them in. Don't let them see the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. And then the chorus, let it go. And she says, I don't care what they're going to say. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And then there's this huge costume change. Her hair comes out. And it, it, it's, it's wonderful, right? But basically, what, what is the message? Let it go means find what's inside and express it. Right? These are just a couple of examples. So identity, who I am for the world, starts inside my desires, my wants, my, my hopes, and it goes then outside. It's different from what we see here in our passage. In our passage, it's outside in. Right? Modern people, they'll look at that and say, we don't do that anymore. That's outdated. We don't let anyone tell us who we are. We decide for ourselves because we're woke, right? We know better. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that the world's way of thinking is all bad. I, there is something good and, and I think great about genuineness and being your authentic self and discovering that, right? And it can be good in many ways, even rewarding. But I also think to an extreme, there are many problems with it. All right, I'll just give you one. 
If you want to approach your identity, who you are, from inside out, looking deep into your heart to figure out your deepest desires and then try and live it out and express it, if that's how you're going to do it, I'm going to tell you this, your identity is fragile. It's fragile. Here, let me give you a few examples of what I mean. You look inside to find out what you really want. The problem is, sometimes people don't know what they want. Sometimes they think they know what they want or what they want to be or what they want to do, and it changes a few years later. I had a sister years ago. I asked her, what, what's your goal in life? Just generally, we were just chit-chatting. You know what she said? Marriage. Marriage is the goal. And I was like, okay. But she was dead serious. Marriage is my purpose. I'm looking for marriage. Marriage is my goal. That was her identity. That was her desire. She gets married. Three years later, and I think three kids, she wants out. She wants out. You know what she wants to do? Career. Career. Right? One moment, it's marriage. That's who I am. And the next moment, for whatever reason, career. Our desires change. Who you are changes. That desire, if it's always inside out, is fragile. It's also fragile. Because if you approach identity just from inside out, one of the assumptions is this. You can't let anybody tell you who you are. You cannot let anyone validate you. You cannot let anyone judge you or tell you your worth. It's your desires, and no one can tell you it's wrong. It's impossible to live like that. It's impossible. I don't know anyone, anyone that says, well, everybody around me says I'm a horrible person, but I don't care because I feel good with it. Because unless you're some kind of a sociopath of some sort, eventually, if everyone is telling you, it gets to you. Do you know why? Because, as one author puts it, we are irreducibly relational creatures. We're relational. We can't help it. No matter how independent we think you are, it affects us. I decide who I am. It's my desire. It's my way. I express myself. And okay, you might feel free in a sense, right? But listen to what Tim Keller says about this approach. He says this, quote, If you live like this, Nobody knows your flaws more than you do. And because people live like this, in this country, we are the most needy group of people that need so much affirmation. We're free, but we're constantly neurotic. We desperately need affirmation from everybody, and it's never enough. In fact, now, because of this approach, you can't just disagree with people anymore and their desires because you might be attacking their identity. And he says this, it's an illusion to think you can just look inside, liberate yourself by saying, I don't care what anyone says, I'm going to be true to myself. It's fragile. If you look for your identity inside out, not only is it fragile this way, relationally, but in our relationships. Think about this. If it's true that you can't let anybody sacrifice your desires and your happiness because this is who you are, then guess what's going to happen relationally? You will only get into relationships that benefit you. Marriage. The biblical idea of marriage 
is that you get involved with a person where you are 100% serving the other. Right? But the world's idea of finding that perfect partner is someone who's benefiting me. Because my identity and my desires, these are what I want and what I want to express. If you get in the way of this, if you block this of who I am, and you take away my freedom, guess what? Divorce. Did you know the number one reason for divorce in this country in the past five years? Freedom. Freedom. Took away my freedom. That's what it is. The modern approach to identity says inside out. And if you live like this, it makes all relationships transactional. It makes you a consumerist. And this is why in our country, fewer and fewer, among other reasons, fewer and fewer people are having kids. You know why? Because if you have a baby, it's all about them. They're going to take away your freedom. You've got no choice. It's all about them, whether you want to or not. You can talk all about the joy of parenthood all you want. It's just not that fun sometimes right? But parenting, some psychiatrists say, is the only non-transactional relationship left. Because every other relationship, if it's hindering what you want and your identity and what you think you're meant for, you could just pull out. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. It's hard to divorce your kids. You can't do that. Not as easily as at least. Lastly, if you want to approach identity from inside out, like everyone says, you decide what you are, you decide what you want, this will give you your identity, and you just need to express it, this will give you your sense of self-worth, here's the thing. Whatever it is your desire is, whatever you think it is, you've got to achieve it. This is what I want, this is who I am, I need to achieve it now. And the question is, what if you fail? What if you lose? It's a lot of pressure then, isn't it? A lot of pressure to formulate your own identity. Come back to our passage. Paul says, not inside out, but it's outside in. God says, this is who you are. Then he says, live this out. Von Roberts, a pastor in the Church of England, um, which, which, by the way, he, he struggles with lifelong same-sex attraction, um, says this, quote, essence, who we are as creatures made in God's image, precedes our existence, the choices we make and the feelings we have. Robert says, who we are, our identity, always comes before our feelings, our desires, and the choices we make. That's what he's basically saying. But the modern man and woman today is the very opposite, isn't it? It's the things we do. It's the experiences we have. It's the thoughts and the feelings and the desires that we want that now define us who I am, who we are. And Paul here is, I think, telling us that God has made us in his image and that he has given us an identity as creatures created in his image. We were created to have a relationship with God. Him. In other words, our existence, what we do, what we feel, what we think, ought to flow from our identity of who God says we are. 
And I think this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The identity that he's telling us here is not fragile. It's very different because the identity doesn't come from us. It comes from outside of us, from a God who does not change. It will not go away. It's an identity that he says we have received, not achieved. An identity that we've been given by grace, not earned. And let's be honest, we have many identities, right? Many roles to play in our life, but the identity underneath all the identities, all the roles, is what Paul says is given to us by a God who has loved us and gave to us his only son. One of the things you take away from worship, then, is a sense of identity. Look at this passage again in these two verses. Number one, Paul's not talking to an individual. Every time people read this, these two verses, they're thinking about just me. He's talking to a group. He's talking to a church. Number two, the concern in these two verses is what? This is your spiritual worship. So it's a church and it's worship. It's relational. It's not individualistic, Right? So when Paul says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed, how? By the renewal of your thinking, one of the ways we are not to be conformed but changed is by not pursuing things like meaning and identity as the world tells you you have to do. And Sunday worship brings us out of that and places in a culture that's completely different. Sunday worship is one of the ways that reminds us, one, we're all sinners. We're all guilty of coming short of standards, and not just God's standards, but even the standards we set for ourselves as parents, as spouses, as children, as coworkers, as friends. We fall short all the time, but in this place, you're pronounced His grace. You are not a failure. Worship reminds us of the identity underneath all identities. When we confess together our Father, we are reminded it's because we are sons and daughters. When you are pronounced forgiveness of your sins, it's because you are accepted and loved by God as you are. When you hear a sermon about the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're reminded of your worth, not because you achieved something worthy, but because God has given to you his only begotten son in order to make you his. Jesus, his blood, his death is how much you are worth to him. You're worthy. And so you have all the affirmation, all the affirmation in the world. Because when God looks at you, no matter your failures or success, you are to him like his only son. You have a seat at the table when we commune in our communion with him. He pronounces you with blessings and blessings as we give a benediction. This is who you are. Don't you see? You have a relationship with him. So it can never just be true to yourself. It's also be true to him. Because who you are is determined, not just from inside out, but outside in, by a God who has called you into existence and into a relationship through Jesus Christ. And then he says, go inside out. Don't conform, transform, live out.
that identity in the world. That's what I think Paul is saying in verse 1 and 2. And I think as we consider it more carefully, uh, we find that it's kind of at odds with how things are in the world today. But it's our faith that needs to play, and we're asked to live it out the way he sees us. So I encourage you to consider your identity again uh, as Jesus Christ has earned it for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace. Uh, We thank you so much for what you've done. We pray that you remind us, at least help us to be thinkers, thoughtful uh, of how we live, how this all applies. Help us to consider, again, what these things mean practically as we try and live out what you've told us about ourselves and who we are. We are people who every day we struggle with different identities and roles and things we need to do and things we want. And we rate ourselves, we judge ourselves, we judge others based on performance and ability and uh, successes and failures and wins and losses. Uh, But Lord, Lord, we pray that you'd remind us that even on a given Sunday, you remind us that you have already won so that losers like us may become winners in your eyes. And we need to ask the question, how does that identity, therefore, affect all these other things that we do and are so engaged with from day to day? Help us to find our source of encouragement. Help us to find our our source of perseverance. Help us to be people who rebound from failure after failure uh, to success, to to, uh, fruition. Uh, Help us to... Uh, Lord, discover truly who we are uh, through thick or thin uh, because of the secure, unchangeable, unbreakable identity that you've given to us that will never change and will one day be 100% visible to the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you continue to use us in the world today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.